Hello, my friend, and welcome to Wisdom Trek. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, your guide to wisdom and creating a living legacy. Thank you for joining us for our five-day-per-week wisdom and legacy-building podcast. Today is day 906 of our trek, and it is Wisdom Wednesday. Creating a biblical worldview is important in order to have a proper perspective on today's current events. To establish a biblical worldview, it is also required that we have a proper understanding of God's Word. Especially in our Western cultures, we do not fully understand the scriptures from the mindset and the culture of the authors. In order to help us all have a better understanding of some of the more obscure passages of God's Word, we are investing Wisdom Wednesday reviewing a series of essays from one of today's most prominent Hebrew scholars, Dr. Michael S. Heiser. He has compiled all these essays into a book called, I Dare You Not to Bore Me with the Bible. We are broadcasting from our studios at the Big House in Marietta, Ohio. None of us like to have something promised to us, and then the promise not to be fulfilled. It seems like most political candidates do that when they are running for office, but once they are elected, they do not fulfill their promises. Unlike that situation, though, we know that God's promises will be fulfilled, but the fulfillment may be based on our belief and faithfulness to Him. Today's essay explores one such incident, as we will focus on Promise Undelivered. To set the picture for today's essay, I will read the entire chapter of 2 Kings chapter 3. The setting for this passage is shortly after the death of wicked king Ahab of Israel. And here we go. Ahab's son Joram began to rule over Israel in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign of Judah. He reigned in Samaria for 12 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not to the same extent as his father and mother. He at least tore down the sacred pillar of Baal that his father set up. Nevertheless, he continued in the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nabat, had committed and led the people of Israel to commit. King Mesha of Moab was a sheep breeder. He used to pay the king of Israel an annual tribute of 100,000 lambs and wool from 100,000 rams. But after Ahab's death, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram promptly mustered an army in Israel and marched from Samaria. On the way, he sent a message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join me in this battle against him? And Jehoshaphat replied, Why, of course, you and I are one. My troops are your troops, and my horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat asked, What route will we take? We will attack from the wilderness of Edom, Joram replied. The king of Edom and his troops joined them, and all three armies traveled a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. But there was no water for the men or their animals. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. One of King Joram's officers replied, Elisha, son of Shaphath, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jehoshaphat said, Yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel, King Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom went to consult with Elisha. Why are you coming to me? Elisha asked the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. But King Joram of Israel said, No, for it was the Lord who called us three kings here, only to be defeated by the king of Moab. Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now bring me someone who can play the harp. While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, This is what the Lord says. 
The dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but the valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourself and your cattle and other animals. But this is only a simple thing for the Lord, for he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. You will conquer the best of their towns, even the fortified ones. You will cut down all the good trees, stop up all the springs, and ruin all the good lands with stones. The next day, about this time, when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere. Meanwhile, the people of Moab heard about these three armies marching against them. They mobilized every man who was old enough to strap on a sword, and they stationed themselves along their border. But when they got up the next morning, the sun was shining across the water, making it appear red to the Moabites, like blood. It's blood, the Moabites exclaimed. The three armies have attacked and killed each other. Let's go, men of Moab, and collect the plunder. But when the Moabites arrived at the Israelite camp, the army of Israel rushed out and attacked them until they turned and ran. The army of Israel chased them over the land of Moab, destroying everything as they went. They destroyed towns, covering the good land with stone, stopped up all the springs, and cut down all the good trees. Finally, only Kur Ashereth and its stone walls were left. But men with slings surrounded and attacked them. When the king of Moab saw that he was losing the battle, he led 700 of his swordsmen in a desperate attempt to break through the enemy lines near the king of Edom, but they failed. Then the king of Moab took his oldest son, who would have been the next king, and sacrificed him as a burnt offering on the wall. So there was great anger against Israel, and the Israelites withdrew and returned to their own land. That will complete the reading for today, so let's move on to the essay. When exposed to evil, we might doubt God's presence. Soldiers' accounts and memoirs often recall times of doubt when they grappled with war atrocities and ultimately the struggle between good and evil. While scripture is clear that good will triumph, it also says that evil will win its share of battles. 2 Kings 3 records a war event where evil actually won out. But we first see that Yahweh takes sides. Kings chapter 3 describes the rebellion of Moab, led by its king, Mesha, against the monarch of the northern kingdom of Israel, King Joram. Like his father Ahab, Joram solicited King Jehoshaphat of Judah, the southern kingdom, for assistance with his enemy. Then they joined with the king of Edom. The invasion route by the way of the wilderness of Edom is critical to the storyline. Edom was the territory settled by the descendants of the red-haired Esau. Edom is a play on words, Adam, which means red, and was epitomized by its reddish soils and rocks in its wilderness. By taking a circular approach to Moab, the invading army must cross desert terrain without water. Jehoshaphat called the wilderness-wandering prophet Elisha for advice. After a testy response to Jehoshaphat's plea, Elisha received word from Yahweh. God would supply the armies with water. It would appear without rain in a stream bed that was presently bone dry. Elisha had even better news, though. When he said, This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord, he will also give the Moabites into your hands. But we see next that with no faith, we have no gain. When they arrived at the place of battle, the Moabite soldiers were fooled by the pools of water that appeared red against the ground in the sun's reflection. They assumed it was the blood of the invading armies who were often enemies themselves and had thought that they went to battle against each other. When the Moabites approached the strip to plunder the dead, they were ambushed by the invading army. In desperation, the king of Moab committed a horrible atrocity. 
which we read in 2 Kings chapter 3. Then the king of Moab took his oldest son, who would have been the next king, and sacrificed him as a burnt offering on the wall. The meaning of the next line, though, is hotly debated, and it reads, So there was great anger against Israel, and the Israelites withdrew and returned to their own land. Why did this happen? Why wasn't Yahweh victorious? After all, Elisha said that God would give the invaders victory in in chapter 3, verse 18. In the Old Testament, we read that the Israelites believed the gods of the other nations were real, assigned to the nations by Yahweh, who was superior and ruled over all the other gods, such as Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 8 and 9. They believed that these gods were demons, real spiritual beings, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 17. Given the nature of this worldview, it seems that the Israelites were frightened by the sacrifice and lost faith thinking Moab's God was angry against them and would empower Moab to win because of the sacrifice. Elisha had told the kings of Israel and Judah that God would help them, so why had he not? This situation isn't the first time that God promised but chose not to deliver. God had told the Israelites that they would conquer Canaan under Moses and Joshua, yet they failed because of their unbelief. Yahweh was not defeated by the God of Moab. He was, and is, ready and able to help his people, but he will not do so if they refuse to believe and act on that belief. Well, that will end our essay for today. Next Wisdom Wednesday, we will continue in our Old Testament book as we look at Dr. Heiser's next essay called Sanctified Dirt. I believe that you'll find this another interesting topic to consider as we build our biblical worldview. Tomorrow, we will continue with our three-minute humor nugget and will provide you with a bit of cheer that which will help you to lighten up and live a rich and satisfying life. So encourage your friends and family to join us and then come along with us tomorrow for another day of Wisdom Trek, Creating a Legacy. If you'd like to listen to any of the past 905 treks or read the Wisdom Journal, they are available at wisdom-trek.com. I encourage you to subscribe to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts so that each day's trek is downloaded to you automatically. And thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek Podcast and Journal. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, and to others generously, lead with integrity, and then leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and then create a great day every day. See you tomorrow.